So I reached out to a friend of mine that owned a dispensary in Denver, had 100 employees. I was like, hey man, I got a great analytics tool for you. You're gonna love it. Would love to get it in front of you. And he's like, hey, I would love to take a look at this, but I don't even have labor data. I don't have a payroll system. I've been dropped six different times. So I have no way to even give you this data for you to give me any insight back. So he's in Excel, he's paying his employees in cash. He shared a story with me where he had to walk a million dollars into the IRS building to pay his taxes. And he had to call the IRS beforehand to make an appointment so that they had check counters there and they had security on site. So now he has this random person that knows he has a million dollars. He's walking around downtown Denver with it. And he shared the story and I was like, this is just unbelievable. Like how, how do you even, yeah, how, how do you operate? And, and he's like, this is what it takes to change the world. And I was like, I, I think I can help you do this. Welcome to Lit Up, a founder's journey a show about the pioneers of the cannabis industry, the organizations they're building, and the lives they're changing. These episodes feature the founders themselves sharing their journey and creating the most impactful ideas of the new cannabis industry. Hey everyone, Brian Weber here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lit Up, A Founder's Journey. For many business owners, payroll and benefits management are a common core part of starting a business. Employees and taxes need to be paid, laws need to be followed. Those are the basics. There are any number of vendors offering those services who will come knocking on your door the moment you register a new business. That's just not the case in the cannabis industry. A chance encounter on a Southwest flight led today's guests to ring up a friend running a successful dispensary, only to find they've been dropped by six payroll companies to service their 100 employees. Then layer on complex legal structures, regulations, tax codes, These are the seeds of what is an especially big problem for the cannabis industry. And it takes a special kind of person to want to start a company to solve those problems. Please enjoy the founder's journey of work founder and CEO, Keegan Peterson. My name is Keegan Peterson. I'm the founder and CEO of work. Uh, I started to work in 2015. A friend of mine had a cannabis business who had been dropped by six different payroll and HR providers because his company touched cannabis. I thought that was very unfair. I thought there had to be a way to make sure that his people and his taxes got paid. And so started work to to go after that and uh, and create a solution around that problem. That's awesome. There's so many great uh, entrepreneurs that are in this space that start this because nobody else would serve them. And this is another great example of that. You guys are basically like the ADP, the paychecks uh, for the cannabis industry. Yes, that is correct. So before we get into that, I want to see what creates a person to want to start such a hard thing to do as starting a big business, especially starting a business in the cannabis space. So we're going to roll back to the beginning. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your folks. Yeah. So my dad is a software engineer, um, spent most of his time in the telecom space. Uh, I grew up in Tampa, Florida, and my mom was a social worker. So she worked for the court system in Tampa, Florida. Um, counseling uh, the families of elderly victims to elderly crimes. And so I grew up in a family where my dad was very inventive, forward thinking, challenging the status quo, had a mother who uh, really wanted to make an impact in the world and, and help others. And so I, uh, I like to believe I got both of uh, uh, some of their good qualities. Yeah, definitely the best of both worlds. You got the analytic, you know, creative, you know, building mindset there and then the caring from your mother. So that's excellent. That makes a lot of sense with what you got into. Um, you stayed in Florida for university. You went to FAU, Florida Atlantic University. 
And one thing that popped out at me is I saw that you were a starting punter for the football team. Yes. Yes. Uh, and do you, do you still have your two bowl rings from the uh, Motor City Bowl and New Orleans Bowl? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yes. I went to college there. We do. We did uh, win two bowl games. Did get some bowl rings that are still somewhere packed away in the house. Um, but yeah, that was that was part of my decision to go down to school in Boca Raton. Uh, was to play football. I was a punter for the team. Um, Howard Schnellenberger was our coach, and he's a famous uh, football coach. Um, famous for the 72 undefeated Dolphins season, as well as uh, the University of Miami going to the national championship. So it was, it was a great experience uh, playing on a team like that, playing for a leader like that. Um, but I also was an academic. So I uh, went to school originally for um, biology, wanted to go to med school and realized my fascination and interest in business. So uh, changed over to business. So I'm one one credit shy of a biology degree and then a, a full uh, finance degree. Just one credit. One credit. <laughs> Tells you how much I really enjoyed the business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just one credit. You're like, nope, I'm done. Not even, not even worth it. Not Thank dumb, yes. Uh, I saw besides football, you had tennis on there. Were you active in sports as well growing up? Yes, played a lot of sports growing up. Tennis was one that um, that I played a lot. My dad played tennis. Um, he he uh, swam and um, played tennis a little bit in college. So um, funny story about tennis in college. I was out kicking, so I said it was a punter. I was out practicing one day. Our tennis team uh, had a bunch of guys from Germany on the team. They all got caught playing professional over in Germany. So they all got kicked off the team right before the conference tournament. Oh, so we're now down three players. Tennis teams are already pretty small in college. Coach came out while I was practicing punting and said, Hey, I saw that you played high school tennis and you were pretty good. Would you be interested in trying out? And so I had to go get permission from the coaches. They said, yes. Um, so I tried out that next week. I made the team and then actually made a spot of playing number five singles. And then the second doubles, and uh, in the conference tournament, uh, I lost my singles uh, match in the third set. Oh wow! And we won our doubles. That's amazing. So it was uh, it was fun and cool. I hadn't I hadn't swung a racket in over twelve months. You know, wow. once I started playing football, you kind of give up all sports to you make zone sure in on that one. Yeah, that's amazing. They called they called you off the bench. <laughs> that's for, right. For king of country, there. That's fantastic. What else were you involved in growing up? So you had some sports acumen there. I saw some of your early professional work was in sales and some some tech focused things. Yeah, I always had an entrepreneur spirit when I uh, grew up. I started a lawn mowing business when I was really young in the neighborhood and and uh, had like a little trailer in the back of the lawnmower. I would drive it miles to, to cut lawns. Oh, so this wasn't even just up and down the street. This was, you know... Work, oh, yeah, work. this was a, a big a deal. Gotcha. <laughs> as, as far as my, my drivable lawnmower could reach. Yeah. Um, and, and started different things as a kid. Um, and so I uh, always had a job, very young age, got a job. My first job was lifeguarding at a, a, a theme park. And yeah, kind of kept that going. And, and through college, uh, not only played football, but also was in student government. Yeah, you were chief of staff. Was that, uh, was that correct? Do I remember that correctly? Yep. That's yep. Chief of staff for the student government and, uh, and also carried a job. And that's when I got my first job in HR was actually, while playing football, while being chief of staff, was working for a software company called LexisNexis, mm-hmm. where we did background checks um, for banks. So we, we helped banks track for money laundering. 
Yep. Which is funny because now I'm in the cannabis industry and <laughs> we do the same kind of checks to make sure we're not. That is some good prerequisites right there. So <laughs> I'm sure that helped a lot starting that. Yes. Uh, and you probably also learned a very valuable skill about time management because you're in school, full course load, playing for the football team, which is huge full-time commitment with that as well and uh, on top of a job. So was that one of those things that you took away from university, having all those commitments and student government as well? Yeah, I think it's a good way to put it. I was very good at maximizing my time and becoming very efficient with my time. Um, I also picked up tutoring. Um, so I, I did very well in, in math and the football players, a lot of them were challenged in, in math. So I became a tutor and tutored guys while we were on the trip. So while we were on the plane, I would be helping them you know, learn and, and do their homework and things like that um, and get paid to do it. So I just, you know, really found a way to maximize every minute that I spent. And, and I, I do love sports. I love playing sports, but really I'm an academic and, and that's the part of school that I, I really enjoyed. That's excellent. That's really excellent. So getting back to LexisNexis though, like you're looking for fraud and were you in university when you were doing that position? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was, uh, yeah, going to school, playing football, doing all those things. And then this was something I started as a summer job. And then you were there for a bit and I saw that Kronos was your first position and I know them from like just time tracking, but I know that they do a lot more. Could you expand upon that a little bit? Yeah. A friend of mine, one of my one of my close friends from high school started working for Kronos and I was coming to the end of, of my, my time in college looking for what I was going to do next. Uh, I was looking at jobs, um, working for hedge funds, working for trade. You know, I really thought the stock market was going to be my future. And a friend called me and said, Hey, I'm working for this company called Kronos. Here's what we do. I'm moving into a new position. I, ha- I need someone to lead this part of the, uh, of the team for me. Would you be interested? And the original position was I was leading a team of financial analysts who were doing research on how to go sell and support big enterprise companies. And so it was a use of my finance skill. It was a use of, of my business skills. Um, it was a technology company, which I had grown up in a technology household, always enjoyed being around and playing with technology. Um, so it was the kind of the light bulb that went off and said, Hey, this is a cool different avenue to go down that, um, really matches well with the things that I enjoy. And I dove in and, and loved the work, loved the people that I worked with. And, you know, as a really young person got to lead people, which was uh, unique. That's an amazing first, um, I mean, you're already working at uh, LexisNexis, but like to have that as a first real position out that you're already leading people right there, that's, that's pretty incredible. But obviously, I'm sure that they saw your background spoke well to that. You got a little bit more vertical specific, I think around like 2013 or so that you started working for, was it People Matter? And there was Workforce Insight as well. Those were like very vertical specific to the retail and restaurant industry. What drew you to that specific focus and to, to getting into more of a vertical specific focus? Yeah, the, the vertical focus really started at Kronos. Kronos was verticalized and I found I really enjoyed spending time with the folks in the retail team. Um, they aligned with with my personality and characteristics well, and they worked really hard. They also had a lot of fun together. So I moved into sales on the retail team at Kronos, and that's when I first started learning about the retail industry and, and the challenges that they face. Um, and then when I moved over to People Matter, I was able to take that skill set and, and apply it to um, kind of a more focused product. Um, and that's where we expanded from not just retail, but into the restaurant space and the convenience store space. Um, and then I helped People Matter move 
into the retail space um, by bringing them into clients like Charlotte Bruce. Um, but, but it really, over those years, um, really helped me focus um, into this space, which is high hourly workforce, um, have a lot of turnover, have people that are really exciting, but they're flexible work schedules. Like it's, it's a really challenging problem to be able to serve your customers with a workforce that is very fluid. Yeah. Within retail and hospitality, there's a lot of turnover. There's a lot of hourly work that's right there. And that obviously positioned you very well for what you're going to be doing in the future. Besides them being, you know, a work hard, play hard type of environment, what were some of the other things that you noticed about that vertical that you found very interesting just for problems to solve that you were getting into? Well, they, they dealt with challenges that I don't think people from the outside realize go on day to day. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to give this experience to customers. That's good. And to get there, it is such a big effort. And when you meet people that have worked in the restaurant and retail space, they're, they work so hard. They work weekends, they work extra hours. Like they just grind it out. And they're really hard to find people that are great operators in this space. But when you do, you, you, you just see this person that has just been through so much and has put so much on the line and they're doing it to give a better experience to the customer. And there's something special about being a part of that. And there's something very special about providing technology and services and thought leadership and insight to make that easier and better for them. And that piece of it is what grabbed me and, and I wanted to be a part of it. When you went to Workforce Insight, you said that you had helped them launch to get them into the retail space. What was that adventure like? Because that sounds like a whole huge leap right there. Well, People Matter was where I had that leap. Oh, forgive me. And, yep. And that's where I, I wanted them. You know, they were already in the, in the restaurant space. They were trying to move into the enterprise space. They were trying to expand the markets they were going after. And it was challenging because you know, the product is purpose-built, especially if you're building a solution for the mid-market. To go from there to the enterprise space is very challenging because um, the enterprise needs very customizable solutions for their, for their needs. Um, and then when you go into a new market that has slightly different needs, um, it, it really puts the product to the test. And, and that's the challenge that we had is, is you know, we're selling the future. We're selling where the product is going. Um, but when you got a whole new vertical and, and market segment, it's, that's a big leap. Yeah. There's a lot of, it's industry. not one little, one no, widget, a few features here, whatever else. It's a lot of industry knowledge that comes along with that. And that's why yeah. sometimes it pays to go with someone who's a generalist, but also you know, for your specific stuff, it really pays to go vertical specific that you're going to have that industry knowledge beyond just the software that's on there because that knowledge is built into that software. Those workflows are supported with that. When did the idea, and this kind of leads us right into the, the crux of things here is when did the idea for work come about you're around 2015 time frame you're mm -hmm. you're living in denver and what did the cannabis space look at that time for you and when did this vertical nature come along yeah so i i had moved over at that point i left people matter and i went to work for um a guy named uh, don and steve uh, don giffles and steve goldman over at workforce insight they were both former chronos people as well so i knew them through that industry and uh, they had launched a, a consulting firm working with large enterprises, uh, big box retailers. And so I started getting some experience in the enterprise space and started seeing um, an analytics 
one thing that connects all these industries is the analytics behind their business and how they track. So whether you own a single store location, you're trying to find how efficient can I make my store all the way up to PetSmart who has thousands of locations. They're trying to find a way to make each store. Um, so I saw this similarity in the analytics across all these different businesses within a vertical and started playing around with some of these analytics ideas on my own and positioning towards Workforce Insight. It wasn't really a business line that they wanted to take on. Um, and then at that time, I, uh, I sat on a plane randomly next to a software developer. A friend of mine had been trying to introduce me to this guy. So I, I randomly sat next to this person that has been trying, I've been trying to get introduced to for months. He built the front end for Fidelity's website. And how random is that? Yeah. And it's a Southwest Airlines flight. So it's like pure coincidence. <laughs> we were flying to New York. Who is middle seat? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. And, I, and he's still in the cannabis industry. This He introduced me to the concept of the cannabis industry and their needs. Um, his name's Kevin. And he's over at uh, Bird Dog LED. So I'm sitting there. I'm, um, he's looking over my shoulder. He's looking at this analytics tool that I built and I was playing around with. And he's like, man, you should really take this into the cannabis space. Like they need help. And so I, you know, I was like, yeah, but I'm kind of in the retail space and I'm doing this and I would love to be in the cannabis space, but I don't know enough about it. And he's like, you'd be surprised with how much, how similar they are. And, and there's a lot of different pieces too that you need to learn, but they, they have hourly workers. They're trying to give a good customer experience and they just need data to, to see what's, you know, how they're operating efficiently. So I reached out to a friend of mine that owned a dispensary in Denver, had 100 employees. I was like, hey, man, I got a great analytics tool for you. You're going to love it. Would love to get it in front of you. And he's like, hey, I would love to take a look at this, but I don't even have labor data. I don't have a payroll system. I've been dropped six different times. So I have no way to even give you this data for you to give me any insight back. So he's in Excel. He's paying his employees in cash. He shared a story with me where he had to walk a million dollars into the IRS building to pay his taxes. And he had to call the IRS beforehand to make an appointment so that they had check counters there and they had security on site. So now he has this random person that knows he has a million dollars. He's walking around downtown Denver with it. And he shared the story. And I was like, this is just unbelievable. Like, how, how do you even, yeah, how, how do you operate? And, and he's like, this is what it takes to change the world. And I was like, I, I think I can help you do this. And so I spent a lot of time figuring out what he, you know, what were the challenges that was creating this problem? And these, this is what people had to do to operate. The state voted in favor of this. And these people stepped up to create these businesses to service the needs of the people. But then they, they had to put their life at risk every single time they went to the bank or they paid their employees. You know, he had a, a head of HR that she would drive around with payroll in her car and go drop off checks to everybody. And it was checks stuffed with cash. So she is a target, you know, and then, then everyone knows when the employees are getting paid. So when they walk out of the dispensary, they're targets. And so I... You're just trying to solve problems right there. We can do this, we can do this. Yeah, and I've been doing this in the hourly space, in the restaurant space, the retail space. So I, like, I knew the end result. And I had to figure out like, why is this industry operating in a different mechanism than all these other companies that I work with every day. So that was your spark moment for, for the company. Like, There's a lot of problems here. I see there are solutions for this that are already in place in other industries. We need to find that here. So your brain gets working, you're trying to work on this. What does that process look like for the next few months? Yeah, so it's a ton of research. Luckily, I had a friend that had just started a payroll company. So I reached out to him. I got him on the line. Um, the three of us talked about the problem. 
I asked to talk to other operators to hear what their problems were. And then I started going to a lot of networking events, trying to meet people that were doing something in the space that could help. Um, so I, I went and found banking consultants that were trying to solve problems in the industry. Um, I, you know, I just found different people. Um, Matt Tenlin was an early person that introduced me to a lot of folks. Uh, Deirdre Gorman were, were two people that were instrumental in me thinking through the banking challenges because it really came back to like the, the challenges that were happening in the space were around banking, money movement, underwriting, compliance, uh, being able to prove that these companies from the very beginning are compliant businesses, but then being able to show that over the life of that um, relationship. Is that why a lot of these companies were getting dropped from payroll, though, is because like the fear of just illicit or non-compliant funds as part of the industry and they don't want to be part of the money moving out there? Were there other other deeper issues with this? From the payroll, from the payroll side of it, all these payroll companies are backed by a bank. The bank doesn't want to take on the risk and liability. They don't understand it. They don't see the benefit of going into it and figuring it out. Um, So that's the number one reason. Then you have the investors behind these organizations that, you know, depending on their personal viewpoint on cannabis, they either support it or they don't. If they have one or two investors on the cap table that don't want to be in cannabis, then that company is no longer in cannabis. And then three, they don't understand the challenges that these companies are facing Um, because it's not just, you know, banking is a very general term. It's, you know, how am I getting money from the customer and how do, what do I do with that money? You know, payments and there's, there's all these different pieces of it that are the life cycle of the dollars throughout the business. Exactly. Yeah. And so those are the things that were causing the the problem for the payroll companies that touch it. Um, And, and, you know, they, and that's where we really focused our time and energy on is how do we solve the problem of underwriting these companies and making sure that they're compliant over a lifetime of a relationship and how do we move money for them and how do we make sure that people get paid and how do we track all of this? And The technology tools were already there because obviously they're, they're servicing other companies. It was finding then willing banks that are willing to go into this business and also willing investors amongst, you know, all over the, the cap table on all these different elements that all these different businesses that you have to bring in to piece this together to give a common solution to your customers there. So you're researching, you're talking, you're meeting people, you're getting introductions. Uh, I'm sure you found a lot of sympathetic ears that wanted to share a story. How did you start turning that story into actions? Yeah. So at the time, I, I realized that there was a real opportunity to, to solve this problem. I left Workforce Insight, focused my time um, on this problem. Um, I did the research to figure out that there were different problems to be solved, different pain points, but there was a light at the end of the tunnel for pulling these things together. Um, it's murky. It's not clear, but you can see something over there. And so I started uh, through my network and through this you know, friend of mine that I had that had the problem. I started reaching out to other operators and saying, hey, if I can pull a solution together for this, would you be interested? And he was making introductions. Um, and then I was selling them on this concept that kind of existed. <laughs> and, a bit vaporware, but you got to see if there's a market out there and test it out. Exactly. Exactly. And so... Um, once I realized that there were some folks that needed this, I started pulling together the pieces. I you know, started pulling together technology, started reaching out to the banks and figuring out the, what banks were in the industry and what was their ability to, to make this happen. Um, and then what were we going to have to do as a business? What were we going to have to create in order for this to happen? 
So uh, really putting the pieces together of like, okay, there is a need in the market for this. People are willing to pay for this. It solves a big problem. Um, I can see how I can put the pieces together to make this happen. And here's what we have to create as a company for this to actually work. So you're putting together your checklist of all these different puzzle pieces to the solution to start building this. So you are starting to execute upon this at this point. Yes. What time frame is this? Because you started in 2015. When did you actually know what you needed to solve to get rolling come about? When did that final picture, at least the initial final picture come into play? Yeah, so I started, you know, I created the company August 2015. I signed my first contract with a customer in September I guess the end of end of August, early September, because I, I signed it on the way to Burning Man. It was my first Burning Man that I was going to. That's awesome. I remember being in the RV um, and signed the contract on the way to Burning Man. And that was like a big milestone. Let me get this out of the way right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure what kind of capacity I'll be in the rest of the week, but let's go. <laughs> exactly. And um and that really is my first time going to Burning Man. So that was a very, that was an experience in itself. All right. And That's a whole different vignette I want to get into. <laughs> it's a life changing, it's a life changing uh, experience though, where you, you know, the whole world looks different and you realize like, for me, it, it was a time for me to reflect and say like, who do I want to be? What are things I really enjoy doing? And how do I do more of what I want to do and not just follow the herd? And when you go through college and you play in sports and all these, like you're such a herd mentality of like doing what others want. Yeah. There's always that logical next. And yes. no one ever pauses to be like, what's, what do I really want to do here? Yeah. What do I enjoy doing? What am I willing to give up in order to do more of? And um, so that Burning Man was that um, opportunity for me. And I had just found this opportunity. I did the research on it and found a market for it. And actually got someone who said, hey, I, I could use this. Um, and then it was off the races on how to make it happen. So you started this company after doing a lot of research for a few months here. So you've been working at this all throughout 2015, maybe even a little earlier. Yeah, it, it started at the beginning of 2015, probably maybe even a little bit before, um, where it, it's, you know, one thing led to the next thing, the next thing. And and at the time, I was just doing because I was having fun doing the analytics tool and the research, you know, it. it it just kind of eventually like snowballed into like, Hey, you got to go start a company to solve this problem. That's a great way to get into something though. It's like, what do I enjoy doing? And can I spin this to turn this into uh, something I can make a life out of? So if yeah. you can, great, it's a career. And if you can't, then it's a hobby. Yeah. You got to be able to identify which one's which. So around the same time though, that you were with Canopy San Diego, Canopy Boulder, got involved with the ArcView group. When do they start falling into pieces? And we definitely want to get into with the people as well. Yeah. So that uh, December, I think December, January in 2015, I I realized that, okay, I, ha I have a product now. I, I have shown that I can sell this product. People are paying me for this service. Um, so I had assembled the banking solution. I had assembled the technology. Like we had the, we had the system going. Our first uh, contract or, you know, customer had three employees. Um, Today, they have 250. And they love you. They're loyal to you. They've been amazing. What was some of the extra secret sauce that you had to have on to this besides like, is there a white labeled, you know, payroll program that you're going to have those basic things on there? What were some of the other things that you had to add on to serve the cannabis industry besides willing partners? Yeah. So we first had to spend a lot of time with the banks to understand how to underwrite these clients. And we had to work in partnership with them and, and basically bring solutions to the table. 
Um, they were doing, uh, you know, their work in, in a certain capacity. We were wanting to do work on behalf of, of a big, broad range of customers, uh, which is a whole different level of compliance. So we had to build an entire compliance engine to underwrite these clients and say that they are, you know, here's the state rules, here's all the states that they operate in, and here's how we can show that they are compliant in all those states. And here's how we're going to do that ongoing. That was the first thing that we needed to build. Um, and then we needed to build the ability to actually move money with these banks um, to be able to pay, pay, you know, payroll and taxes. So actual physical uh, cash, having like armored trucks go to pick these things up. We thought at first it was going to be armored trucks, um, but there were already groups that were solving that problem. Um, so we tapped into those groups. At, at one point, we officed inside of uh, our on top of a bank vault of an armored truck company, which I thought was a great idea at the time. It was terrifying. I mean, everyone was in like military fatigues wearing, you know, with big guns. And the, ever, the six of us that worked in the company at the time were like, I don't feel comfortable coming to work anymore. And I was like, okay, we're going to move offices now. <laughs> Bad idea. Bad idea. It seemed yeah. like a good idea at the time. Let's pivot. Yep. <laughs> okay. So those were the two things that were there though, but you really had to show the banks a technological solution proving as much as one could possibly prove that they are staying in compliance with the law as written within the state of Colorado. Yeah. And then we had to understand, we had to spend a lot of time with the cannabis operators to understand their business and how they operated their workforce. Um, so a lot of what we do, payroll is the end result of it, but we're actually helping them deploy people, onboard people, track people in the business, so people clocking in and out of work. Um, all of those things, when you look at the life cycle of an employee inside of a business, that has to all be done and tracked and, and optimized. Um, so we had to learn that. Because there's other general employment laws that you have to follow anyway, that you're supposed to get a, you know, for every eight hours of work, you're supposed to get a 30 minute break. And those can vary by state to state and even in probably even county level for some things. And then lay on top of that, the cannabis regulations. You can't go buy that off the shelf anywhere. No. Well, yet. No, no, you can't. <laughs> yet. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we had to go create all that. So you're solving those hard problems right there. So yep. interesting, interesting. And then we have 280E that gets thrown into it as well. So there's a whole taxing piece of it and how people, track hours to reduce their tax burden. So there's... Could you go a little bit deeper into that? Because I know a lot of people are listening to this that might not be in the cannabis industry. Um, can you go a little deeper on the 280E and what you just said? Yeah. So 280E is a is a tax provision um, that the IRS recognizes. Uh, starts back in the 80s, I believe is the year, um, when a, a drug dealer, uh, an illegal drug dealer, was uh, got caught for tax evasion. And when they dug into it, the IRS got upset the fact that he had been writing off his, his house, his boat, and his cars on his taxes. Um, so they create a tax provision called the 280 provision, which uh, essentially, if you are trafficking in an illegal substance, you cannot take expenses towards your um, cost of goods. So you can't reduce your, um, your profit margin, your margin, um, to reduce your taxes if the expenses are tied to trafficking of a substance. So now fast forward, we're in the cannabis industry and the IRS is choosing to deem the cannabis industry as folks that this provision applies to. Because they're federal and it's a still federally scheduled one. And this is... Yes. And this is probably the number one issue for the cannabis industry to solve is, is 280E. 
because um, it's creating an overtaxation of cannabis companies to the tune of some businesses are being taxed at a rate of 70 to 90% effective tax rates. So I think that's issue number one. And then banking access is probably number two. So from a payroll perspective, how does that apply when you're trying to pay people? Are they setting up two different businesses for like a dispensary that we're going to pay people out of this business, but the actual growing is going to be something else. How does that work to, to optimize that? Yeah, that was the original strategy was how can we separate all of these pieces and clearly track them in their physical form? With technology, you don't have to do that. So for instance, if you're clocking in and out of a position, that position could be deemed a 280E exempt position or it could be not. So if I'm going to go bud 10 in the morning, which is selling of the good, then I clock into that time and my labor is now non-280E labor. But if I clock out and then go clock into the grow and now I'm watering plants, my labor is, is, is 280E deductible. So if you have a system that can track these things um, and show that not only is this the time allocation, but this is actually the IP address, like there's legitimacy to this, to what I'm claiming here, then you have a mechanism to then you know, prove what you're saying to the IRS. So this, you know, labor is one piece of it. There's building costs, there's benefits. Um, there's everything that's associated with your business, whether it falls below or above or below that cost of goods line um, where this helps. And, that, and that's where we really focus is on the labor side of how we can help th- these businesses determine where their threshold is so they can properly report. And the goal is, is that, uh, they'll be able to reduce their tax burden by tracking these on a more granular level. Yeah, reduce your tax burden, stay compliant, get banking access, all the problems that you're trying to solve right there. So yes. we have a few customers, starts with three paychecks going mm-hmm. out. Um, how do you grow this business? Yeah, so if we back up to the canopy discussion, it's December, January timeline time frame. I realized that you know there's a market out there. I've got a solution for the market. We're getting paid. Um and, but I realized like I need to have a bigger audience. So I, I work with Canopy Boulder. I applied to the program. Patrick Ray called me. Um, and then, then Micah Tapman gave me a call and realized that they had a bigger audience and they had some experts around them and behind them that knew business really well and had scaled something similar to what I had, um, a technology business. So I joined the program. I went through the class. The class, and it's funny when I look at my original business plan and idea of like what I thought big was. And I remember Patrick, or it was it was Micah Tapman sat me down. And he goes, "You realize how big this problem is? Like you're trying to solve this problem for this many people, but this is how many people exist, and this is how big the problem is. Think bigger, help more people. Um, so figure out how to scale to that bigger opportunity." And that's been, um, you know, what we've had to focus on for the last five years now is how do we service and help as many people as possible? And how do we scale our technology to serve those needs? And how do we scale our team to be able to support those amount of customers? And what does the future look like? Was the original build specifically for Colorado or did you have other states in mind? A former part of my business was in California and there was so many rules and regulations just to have one person there. Yeah. Just from a regular business standpoint, let alone throw these things on top of it. It actually started with the medical market in Nevada and the rec marketing in Colorado. So my friend was operating a business in Nevada 
and he was helping them determine their regulations. He was working with the government. And, and so I spent a lot of time in the Nevada market and then I spent a lot of time in the Colorado market. That's really where my scope of like, you know, and, and the cannabis industry wasn't what it was today. You know, you didn't have all these recreational states that happened over time. Um, so we were really just focused on helping these people in these states. And then all of a sudden we start seeing, you know, Oregon and Washington and then California and all these states start going. You're like, I got to help all these people. Like they're all coming into a problem. And every time a new state opens up, there's a new set of problems that exist. So when you were sitting down with Micah and like he kind of dropped that bombshell on you, what happened after that? Was that a pivotal moment with the company? It was very pivotal and it, it changed what I was focusing on. I was, at the time I was focusing on how do I get more customers with what I'm doing right now? And what Micah told me was, you need to build a business that can service more customers and then we can focus on you know, bringing more customers. The need's there but your business has to be able to handle it. So we then started figuring out how do we finance the business? What does the business need to look like in 12 to 24 months from now? Um, what type of processes do we need to have in place? Who do we need to hire to, to execute on those processes? And, and um, so it, it changed what I was focusing on from let's go get customers and get me in front of people to how do I build a business? And, and that was important. So you pivoted at that point from like a, a sales entrepreneur of like, I'm obviously you're building, you're looking at this from a high level thing, and but you're out there closing deals and whatever else to be like, oh, I need to pause. I need to kind of put on my CEO hat now and grow this business and let my team do that. Was that that start of that yes. moment right there for you? Yeah. And at this time, it was me by myself, you know, so I, I'm going at this solo and leaning on other friends, companies to help me make this happen. And then there was a pivotal moment of like, if you're going to do this. You need to do this. Yeah. So what do you need? So how did you, uh, how did you bootstrap this? Or was there some funding involved with uh, the canopy folks or how did that look like to be able to grow the business and get out of your own way and start serving these needs? Yeah. So I, I bootstrapped for quite a while. I, I first thing I did when I left uh, workforce insight, I sold my car I downsized my, like I, I went into entrepreneur life uh, style and conserved as much cash as I, I could. I was closing on a house. I backed out of the house. I mean, I, I really, this was my, my, where I was going to invest my time and energy. And, and then Canopy came in for some, um, for some funding there, our first investors. Uh, and then after the Canopy program, we raised a million dollars um, through Canopy's investor network through ArcView was a big, played a big role. Uh, in our uh, funding and, and then went to work. So we had a million dollars. We had, you know, folks that were using a platform. We had a better scalable model and we went after that. So when did you, st- I mean, cause you're doing sales. I'm sure I mean, you're helping them run payroll. You're asking customer questions. Like how did you stop working in the business to be able to work on the business? Who were your first few hires to be able to do that? I mean, I would, I haven't, it's just more recently that I get to really focus more of my time and energy on working on the business Mm -hmm. at that early stage. You're just, you're go, go, go. And whatever problem comes up, you go solve it that day. Okay. Um, So the first folks that were in the business were people that really knew human capital management technology and how to implement it. And people who knew how to sell, Um, there was no, managers or directors or like it was just all of us in the weeds doing the job 
and an issue came up. We're in a room together. We brainstorm, solve the problem, and then we're on to the next thing. And keep moving along. It was very fluid. Very, very fluid. We all worked a lot of hours. Yeah, I can imagine. And as entrepreneurs, we all go through these times of like, this was a bad idea. Why am I doing this? I am not prepared to be able to be doing this. Did you ever have like a dark moment of like, this was a bad idea. We should not have gone down this road. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many things that happen every year. I yeah. mean, every year there's some major, and then now, you know, five years into it, I'm like, if there's one word that describes our team, it's resilience. Like now big things come up and you're like, okay, yeah, we can, we, we got a team that figures that stuff out. Um, but I mean, we had like really on, early on in the business, we had a bank that wanted to be in the industry and then all of a sudden changed their mind, you know, and then we have to figure out how we're going to move money for these companies. We've had tax partners that are in the industry and choose to not be in the industry. So now we've taken all taxes in house. Um, we've gone through a lot of really big changes. And when those changes, when those problems come to you, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is major. Yeah. Um, and they take a long time to solve, you know, it takes sometimes six to 12 months to solve some of these problems. But, uh, you know, the, the team is just kind of normal operating yeah. business for us now. And the industry, cannabis industry is the most complex I've ever been in. This is, these businesses are more challenging with the way they have to structure themselves, the way that they have to do taxes, the way that they employ people than any other industry I've ever been a part of. Because you have your normal layer of, you know, compliance and regulations that are just running a business right there. And then on top of that is uh, county by county in some states regulations that are laying on this. And it's all different for all different states. And it is federally legal. So there's a whole yes. lot of problems to be able to solve for this. Um Beyond just the business challenges with this, uh, one thing in your resume kind of shot out at me was that you were an associate producer for Weed the People documentary that was that was made a few years ago. How did that come about? I was on a ski trip and I met uh, Ricky Lake on the ski trip. And she had just gone through and, and got a lot of this footage of of these. So So obviously we know Ricky Lake from her time on being on a talk show. Um, and she had spent her and her ex-husband spent time with some children that had got, had, had, um, cancer and used cannabis to supplement their chemo treatments. And in the middle of them meeting these kids, they were really touched by the story. And they said, Hey, we've got to, we've got to provide, you know, create this voice around this. We got to get this to the market. So people know like the cannabis industry exists for, for help helping people like this children. And so she had all this footage and, she, and I talked to her, it was me, it was another uh, CEO of a big cannabis operation. It was an, and two investors on the ski trip. And I talked to her into showing us this footage and she's like, look at the footage is very raw. And, and I was like, look, at, this is why we all joined this industry. Like we want to see this. And so she showed us this film and like, we were all in tears and we're like, this paints, this is why we, we joined this industry is, is to make a difference in people's lives to get access to people who need it. Um, and so we all helped raise some money to, to kind of get the film into South by Southwest, get a commercial together for it, and then started promoting it. And that's where we saw the film kind of evolve from like, here's some video footage to like, here's a, a product ready for market. And, um, 
and the film turned out great. It's such it a great film. A it's on Netflix, so everybody has it. Uh, definitely throw it on the list. I watched it a number of years ago, and I rewatched it over the weekend. Um, and I'm actually going to have Mara on the show in a few weeks as well. Mara's great. Yeah, she's she's amazing, and it's it's a really great doc. And it, when I watched it the first time, it was very impactful because it's like there's a lot of the challenges that you faced and the other businesses that you guys work with in trying to run a legitimate business, people are trying to get legitimate healthcare. And, yeah. you know, it just, we can't even get the research to be able to, to, to prove that this stuff is as effective as some of the results have been showing. So within that treatment. What's so powerful about that film is when, when I saw it, I was like, this story has to be told, right? There's people, there's, there's still states where cannabis isn't legal from a medical perspective. That story is still going on in more than 50% of the United States right now. And there's families and children that are leaving their community to go to a state like Colorado or California because they, now their children or their family member or their grandfather has access to this. So that story is as relevant today as it was two years ago. That film took place over the course of four years. So this is still an active dialogue. This is something that we're still fighting for. And so, I, so I really hope that people go out and see the film because it, it it really brings to life like there's there's people's lives on on the line here, and and that's why we're all fighting so hard. That's why we're all working nights and weekends. That's why we care so much because we want everyone to have a better life, and and it's important that we share the story with folks that don't have that connection yet, um, so that we can move cannabis legalization. Um, to affect more people, help more people. And really move away from the stigma. Because it was one thing that was on the movie. It was just like, this was, you know, this was one drug that we were not even going to consider on. And we could, looked at everything else before this just because of the stigma that is that is around it. So, which has yeah. only been the stigma for the past 70 years. It's been medicine forever before. So, and hopefully real yeah. soon again. And I'm, I'm fortunate that, you know, I should have touched on it when I was sharing the story about my parents. My parents were very progressive in the way that they looked at the world and, and how they viewed social impact and in, in people. And so I, I knew cannabis had a purpose and had a, a place in society. I always supported it, um, but I didn't have a way to impact it. And, and so when I, when my friend you know, came to me with this problem, I was like, I can be a part of cannabis industry and I can solve this problem. Like, this is this was your doorway in. Yes, this is my purpose. That's awesome. That's that's great to find that, especially at a very young age too, and then also to be yeah. to be very impactful uh, with what you're doing there at work. Uh, so we're recording this early May 2020. Things are starting to open up after COVID. How has that really impacted your customers, and what do you see some of those lasting trends going forward? Like, what are some of the things that you see changing within within workforce, and especially within cannabis? Yeah, what well, I think to answer your first question, cannabis is being affected by this, just like everybody else is. Um, and you know, cannabis has been deemed essential during this period of time, but that doesn't mean that their businesses operate at the same level of capacity as they were before. So the industry has been hit hard, just like all industries, and it's really changing um, the way that we go to market. So now we're starting to see a bigger push towards delivery, towards curbside pickup, people shopping online, people trying to have a brand experience online before they come into the dispensary. So I think we're going to see a lot of that um, stick around for quite a while. Um, there are people that want the retail experience, um, you know, they, when they buy a phone, they're going to go into the Apple store and they want to touch and feel and look and, and ask questions. And 
And then there's people that are going to go online and they're going to order their iPhone and they don't care what, what it looks like, what it feels like. They're just going to get it and they're going to start using it. Mm-hmm. And that exists for every product. And I think the cannab- you know, cannabis is not any different. So we're going to have to change the strategy on how we uh, service our customers because we're going to have to have more online experiences, which changes the dynamic of your workforce. Um, and that's where I see this industry. That's the piece of, of what's going on now that I think will stick around. I think we're going to get back into dispensaries. People are going to want to have that experience, especially as we have this new and emerging market. This is a new product that people need to be educated on. And you get that right now through bud tenders. So yep. I, uh, I think that we're going to get back to, to, the, to the dispensary model, um, but we're going to have a lingering industry around a bigger industry around delivery and, and pre-orders. I think the real opportunity to solve right now is how do you give, cause right now bud tenders are in charge of giving that experience, helping people explore new brands in an online experience. You don't have that bud tender. So someone who figures out how to connect that dots of getting bud tender, a bud tender experience through a lot online experience, I think is going to do quite well. Um, for as long as this industry is continuing to roll out is, you know, we have a large population of folks that are uneducated on the products. That experience is really important. I actually thought about that within, within the medical space of not everybody is mobile. Not everybody can come into, um, to have that experience, uh, right there, especially, especially on the medical side, um, having some kind of video solution built into, uh, to a website to be able to allow that. So, uh, if you're building that, we'd love to have you on the show. So thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, last question. I do appreciate, you know, we went over a a tick over time on this. Are there any non-cannabis or cannabis founders that really have inspired you throughout your life? Yeah, there, you know, I, I, I love, you know, the Elon Musk of the world. I love Jack Dorsey. Um, I think the, their ability to see problems and solve them, their ability to be able to manage multiple operations like that is just for me, just like mind blowing. Um, I, you know, where I learned leadership uh, is, you know, being a part of Kronos, Aaron Ain was, was a great leader. He built a really good uh, culture um, where he was at. Um, and I continue to follow some of the things that he's doing that are, are interesting. Um, and for better, you know, I've had two, two leaders in my life that were great in some ways and challenging in others. And I learned a lot from those. Uh, one of them was my football experience, um, you know, very militaristic style of leadership. However, there was, you know, this, we got to go get it done. This is what you do to win. Um, so I, I try to pull from those, um, as much as I can. That's excellent. Uh, and last, how can people connect with you and, and how people can connect with work? Yeah. So we've, we've got an online presence. Uh, our website's enjoywork.com. Um, come check us out and, um, yeah, find us on all social media as well. Enjoy work. Awesome. Keegan, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Uh, sorry for going over a, a tick here on that, but uh, it was definitely well worth it in sharing your founder's journey with us. So thanks for joining us and, and good luck. Yes, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Lit Up, a founder's journey. Links from today's episode are available in our show notes. If you received any value from today's episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. You can connect with us on social media at Lit Up Founders 
or email us at feedback at litupmedia.com. I'm your host, Brian Weber. Thanks for sharing the journey.